Welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shani, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, everyone. And today I'm really excited to have Dr. Amy Gadger. Now, Amy's actually a really good friend of mine. She introduced me to integrative medicine. So I have a lot to thank her for. And we go way back. We actually went to the same university in the UK, Imperial College School of Medicine. And we've actually had so many experiences together, lots and lots of fun. I know we both love dancing. So we've been away dancing in Cuba and Barcelona. Those were the good times, Amy. So welcome to today's podcast. And I have to say, Amy has become an expert. She's an integrative GP based in Sydney and an expert in thyroid conditions, which actually resulted in writing her first book, Slow Butterfly, How Healing Your Thyroid Transforms Everything. And I know it's going to be released on 16th of August. So we're super excited, super proud of what you've achieved, Amy. Thank you so much, Shami, for having me on your podcast. So today we're going to really have this special podcast because it's actually about thyroid and how you manage thyroid conditions when someone comes to present to you in your clinic. And it's really interesting because you said you were inspired to write the book based on that and how so many things we can do for ourselves even before we come and see you. So, and this is what the book is all about, all the different areas of lifestyle plus stress plus nutrition. It's actually a must have book. But so Amy, I'd love for you to start how do people come to you? What kind of symptoms do they come to you where you're thinking this is related to thyroid? As you mentioned, Shami, this book was inspired because I was seeing so many people with thyroid conditions that were not being managed properly in mainstream medicine. And a lot of the common scenarios I was seeing were people who had hypothyroid symptoms, but hadn't been diagnosed, all the bloods were normal, or they may have been diagnosed, were put on medication, but were still not feeling that much better. Or they'd been diagnosed with Hashimoto's with the antibodies and the blood test, but found that, that there was, it didn't mean anything, there was nothing else to, to do about it except monitor. So what I'd like to discuss today is, you know, someone who came to see me with hypothyroid symptoms, might need to break that. So I had a lady who came in with, you know, her 30s, you know, works in the city, her main symptoms were feeling tired and this had been going on for probably on and off for about a year but had been getting progressively worse over the last few months but there's also some brain fog and forgetfulness and just she wasn't feeling as sharp as she normally would do in her job and, and that was also stressing her out because it was actually affecting her work as well she was also experiencing hair loss and noticing that she was putting on a little bit of weight and, you know, she was doing all the seemingly right things, you know, good diet, you know, working out a few times a week, but wasn't finding that her weight was shifting as well. So she was finding that a little bit frustrating as well in terms of her own sort of confidence and everything as well. And she also had some bowel symptoms, so a tendency to constipation, a bit of bloating as well, and also was experiencing PMS a little bit more than usual, especially over the last few months as well. And her mood was up and down so this had been going on for a while progressively worse over the last few months and she had seen a gp had blood tests done and had her thyroid panel tested uh, she uh, so she told me and nothing really came out from the blood test you know her iron was okay b12 was okay thyroid function was okay she wasn't diabetic you know so all the standard things that would have been checked for in a routine blood test done by a local gp were, were all normal but so really not finding you know why she was feeling this way. So she was referred to come see us and 
Yeah, it was interesting, the history. As you go into the history, that there were actually more symptoms of hypothyroidism as well. So certainly those main symptoms that she described, like fatigue, brain fog, weight issues, hair loss, they definitely scream thyroid. At this point, it's also worth mentioning that the thyroid gland controls so many functions. As a result, there's going to be lots of different symptoms. So it's really a case of just putting it all together as well, which often doesn't happen. So, but in the history, you know, as we, as we continue talking, it became apparent that there were also other symptoms that were indicative of uh, hypothyroidism as well. So there was, you know, she had this cold intolerance where she'd feel cold, cold hands and cold feet and would often have to wear more than other people, even if it wasn't that cold. Occasional palpitations, but she had just put that down to her anxiety. She also noticed some dry skin and her periods were a little bit heavier as well. And also some little bit of muscle aching and finding herself a bit more tired after her gym sessions as well. So a lot of those we have, to me, um, indicated that she had underactive thyroids, but also other relevant things in her history were that there was actually a family history of thyroids. So her mum had hypothyroidism. She'd had a thyroidectomy for a goiter and had been put on thyroxine. And she also had a sister with celiac disease. And again, that's also relevant as well. So family history is relevant, but also we know that when it comes to the most common type of hypothyroidism, which is Hashimoto's, which is the most common autoimmune condition, there is a link with celiac disease. There is a lot of research there in terms of if you've got celiac, you should be screened for Hashimoto's and vice versa as well. So, you know, all that study sort of makes sense. And also in her, in her past medical history, she'd had a history of recurrent tonsillitis and lots of antibiotics. And as we know, all that helps shift the gut microbiome. So she's likely to have some sort of gut dysbiosis in terms of maybe high amounts of abnormal or so-called bad bacteria or parasites. And we know, again, in relation to that, there's a gut-thyroid axis as well. If, if the gut's not right, that can affect thyroid. If the thyroid's not right, that's going to affect the gut as well. So there's that two-way gut-thyroid communication as well. She also had a history of glandular fever, which is also relevant because that has been linked and known to be a trigger for Hashimoto's as well. And also some, some breast cysts that she was just been asked to monitor. And again, that indicates this, again, that hormonal imbalance and something that is very common in women, which is estrogen dominance, where, you know, in that last part of the cycle before the period where the estrogen is relatively tied to, to progesterone and people can get symptoms such as PMS, which she did have, but also, you know, breast cysts, ovarian cysts, fibroids, endometriosis, you know, all that can relate as well. And Eastern dominance, as we know, that can also depress thyroid function as well. So it's all interrelated. All these hormone systems is never in isolation. Hence, the importance of looking at the whole picture and you know getting that really thorough history as well. And family history is important. You know, the past history is important. And you know just being able to look at things in a, like I said, in a timeline fashion. You know, like this happened and then that happened, and that's when it all starts to make sense. And sometimes when it comes to you know, people becoming unwell or diagnosis is often, it's often, you know, the, the straw that broke the camel's back, as it were, you know, if we actually look back properly, a lot has been happening, but then it could be stressful events or, you know, just changes in the lifestyle, you know, certain life events that can just trigger things and, and then things start to really, really manifest. You mentioned some really, really important points, and that's literally the basis of functional medicine. It's looking at the body as a whole, and it's moving away from, I need to find one cause and to give you one treatment. And that's literally conventional medicine. And this is what we need to move away from. And as you quite rightly said, thyroid is linked to so many parts of the body. It's incredible and how it, it's all interrelated from estrogen 
thyroid, insulin and thyroid, gut and thyroid, it's all interrelated. And it's almost you have to be the detective to go which part of the body, which chemical process is out of balance. But you've beautifully summarized what a common presentation with someone with an underactive thyroid can look like. Thank you, Amy. So what did you do next? Yeah, so after the thyroid history, in terms of examination, you know, generally she was fairly healthy looking in herself. I mean, there wasn't a goiter, there wasn't a thyroid enlargement. You know, there was some dry skin and some some dryness, especially at the back of the arms, which can also indicate uh, omega-3 and vitamin A deficiency as well. And, you know, a few of the white spots in the nails, which can also in- indicate zinc deficiency as well. And as we know, zinc is so important for thyroid function, many other functions, and including neurotransmitters as well. So... We discussed where we would take it further in in terms of investigations. I wanted to run a comprehensive set of blood tests, and particularly looking in at the full thyroid function. So that's TSH, T4, T3, as well as thyroid antibodies, as well as looking at other hormones, other nutrients, including iron and B12. So it was a comprehensive set of blood tests and also including the celiac gene because there was that family history. And I also find that people who have Hashimoto's often have the celiac gene, but they may not have celiac disease. So comprehensive set of blood tests. We discussed further tests as well, but at this stage we decided we'll just do the blood test and then take it further as well. Can you explain to our listeners T3 and T4? Yeah, so the thyroxine, which is T4, that's the main hormone that's made by the thyroid gland. So it in itself is inactive. It's got to get converted to T3, which is the most metabolically active thyroid hormone. And interestingly, most of that conversion happens outside of the thyroid gland. So it happens mainly in the liver, gut, peripheral tissues, kidneys, and hence the importance of the whole body when we're dealing with the thyroid. So when we're dealing with thyroid issues, it's not just about the thyroid, it's about literally about the whole body. So T3 is what helps upregulate metabolism and neurotransmitters, and, and that's really what we want. We want those, you know, we want that T4 and T3 in a good ratio as well. And this is still relevant in people who, you know, even if they've had surgery and had their thyroid removed and are on thyroxine or T4, that is still going to get converted to T3. So it's not just about looking at the numbers. It's a case of, you know, are we going to get the conversion to T3? You know, are we actually getting that T3 working in the body as well? And that's really important to note because often we're just looking at T4 or if not, we're actually just looking at TSH, which is a common lab test that's run, but it doesn't give us the overall picture of what the thyroid is doing. Could you explain a bit about TSH? Yeah. So TSH is the thyroid hormone that's made by the pituitary gland. And this is actually, as you mentioned, this is the standard test when any GP requests thyroid function, it's it's the TSH that's done. A good point here is that the Medicare ruling here is that if the TSH is normal, then there's no indication to do any further thyroid hormone testing such as T4 and T3. So TSH stimulates the thyroid gland to make thyroid hormones. And generally speaking, let's say the thyroid gland isn't making enough T4 and T3, that's a negative feedback mechanism to say, make more TSH. So that's the traditional way that hyperthyroidism is diagnosed, that t- the TSH starts to increase. And when it comes out of that range, that's when GPs say, okay, well, this hyperthyroidism, and this indicates thyroxine, or depending on the level, it might be monitored. The problem here is that other factors such as stress, which is a big one, cortisol reduces TSH. Starvation and illness also reduce TSH. But in this context, the fact that stress reduces TSH means that we can't use TSH by itself as an indicator for thyroid function. You know, people can still be hypothyroid and have a so-called normal TSH. And that range 
it varies from lab to lab in different countries, but that range is quite wide. It can even go up to four or five, but the ideal TSH is 0.5 to 2.5 max. So it's appreciating that there are many factors that influence TSH and that we can't use TSH by itself. Fantastic. You touched on lifestyle factors, and I know this is your first line of management that you run through the patient. And that's why the book is actually really handy because it's all the steps that you run through. Let's touch upon stress. And you mentioned stress affects the thyroid. So as a result, what do you tell your patients about it? Yeah, so really important to have strategies where we can mitigate that stress. So for example, in in this patient, she was going to the gym, that was a bit of a stress outlet. But in this sort of scenario, it can be too much for the system. So, you know, often if we're doing quite physical, a lot of physical exertion, it can actually be, even that is too much stress to the body. So yes, we want to exercise, we want to move, but it's just that fine balance that may need to change depending on the situation. So in this particular scenario, you know, I advise the patient to consider doing, you know, restorative yoga, Tai Chi or Qigong. I mean, she, she'd done some yoga in the past, she dabbled in it, so she was totally open to doing some yoga, but I wanted her to try a more restorative yoga, you know, something that would be called a gentle yoga or restorative yoga, maybe yin yoga that's a bit more more gentle and it's really focuses on balancing the autonomic nervous system you know the sympathetic versus the parasympathetic nervous system so you know many cases you know it's a case of this it's the the stress response is the sympathetic nervous system that's up there and we want to just dampen that down and increase that parasympathetic activity as well so things that we know can help that's that response is you know deep abdominal breathing yeah she was open to trying the the restorative yoga but tai chi chi going anything like that is is totally fine as well i think you've made a really good point about exercise and when the body is already inflamed and stressed high impact cardio can actually put the body into more of a stress situation so you've made a really good point about what does your body need right now and again it's about just listening to yourself as well and uh, that, that's also a common situation that we tend to find in clinic that people are often over exercising you know or in, in trying to to reduce their weight you know they're eating well, they may even be eating much less calories. And again, this is a really important point as well, because we actually need a certain amount of calories to make the T3. If we start, you know, really cutting cutting back on the calories as, as some people do and over-exercising, it can just be too much for the body at the right, at, that, at the wrong time. So it's often a case of, yeah, just temporarily scaling that back. And you know, if someone is doing a, a session and feeling absolutely knackered for the rest of the day, it's probably too much for them at the mo- at the time. So it's just doing different amounts, different activities for, for that person at that time. Thank you, Amy. So what are the lifestyle changes do we need to know about and how it affects the thyroid? When I speak to patients, I always like to go through the main aspects of lifestyle sleep is really important there is a reason why one third of our lives is meant for sleeping it is not a waste of time so much happens when we sleep you know hormonal balance detoxification reducing inflammation and this is often one of the things that we just sort of let let go you know when we're stressed we're still you know working late or then unwinding and then it's still late so in this patient you know if she was going to bed late you know and so really wanted to optimize her sleep. So advice trying to go to bed later, you know, having a cutoff time, it's regularity is so important. So that's such a key word for general health as well in terms of just regular sleep times. So getting to bed at a good time, trying to, you know, relax in that, especially that half an hour to an hour before bedtime, you know, switching off the screens, 
in terms of TV, phones, and not social media and, and nothing like that. Just we're trying to have a bit of an unwind. I suggested Yoga Nidra. So Yoga Nidra is actually a type of lying down meditation. It's like a progressive muscle relaxation body scan. But the nice thing is you're lying down and you just listen to a guided voice. And there's actually been loads of research on this, on how it helps to really balance the autonomic nervous system as well. And she was open to that as well. And it's often done at the end of some yoga classes. So she was sort of familiar with it. And there's, you know, there's many great apps out there. You know, even if people have never meditated before or done anything like it, you know, there's some fantastic apps out there. So one of the ones I recommended was Insight Timer, which actually has a short yoga nidras as well. So optimizing sleep was sort of absolute priority because the, whatever else we do, if we're not getting to sleep, it's like taking a step back every time. Really, really important point. Excellent. So, and obviously we spoke about managing her stresses as well. And, you know, rather than, you know, we obviously don't want to stop exercise, but I, I suggested, you know, as a practical suggestion, instead of one of those gym sessions, she do a restorative yoga session. So she doesn't have to feel that she's got more things to do and, you know, in a busy sort of work schedule. So it's more, more that substitution than, than anything else. And also just mention some simple breathing techniques that she can do as well. You know, there's alternate nostril breathing and box breath, you know, just some simple breaths that are easily doable. You know, it literally just takes a minute or two. It doesn't have to be a whole yoga session or anything like that. So and that's, I guess, another key thing here as well, that there's so much that we can do day to day. It doesn't have to be that one hour class or anything like that. Just, you know, even with movement, you know, sitting is the new smoking, as they say, you know, we don't want to be sitting for long periods either so it's that daily activity that's just as important as going to the gym as well fantastic in relation to her diet so her diet was actually generally okay although sometimes she would skip breakfast and you know have a coffee and croissant so she was still having some you know a fair bit of gluten and dairy and having sugary snacks in the afternoon even after dinner as well and often eating late so i suggested you know, general improvement of the diet to reduce the, those sugary snacks and the processed foods, you know, to try and incorporate protein at every meal as well, because that also helps to, you know, keep the glucose level stable. So it will help to reduce those cravings as well. And and also the fact that many of us are probably not eating as much protein as we should be as well. Again, regularity is really important for meal times as well, and especially trying to have dinner early by, by six to seven o'clock and not late because we're not going to digest it properly as well. In terms of Hashimoto's, even though we hadn't yet confirmed it at that particular point, you know, I did advise that after she had the blood test done, we just start a trial of gluten and dairy-free as well, with caution to the fact that many gluten-free products can be quite highly processed, so we just got to be careful about that as well. And then, you know, if she does feel like having a bit of bread, you know, she, at least some sourdough bread, because the proper sourdough process has broken down a lot of that gluten as well. We may need to get stricter once we, we get the actual blood test done but at least for now you know if we can start those changes because gluten and dairy free has been shown to reduce antibodies in patients with Hashimoto's. Fantastic Amy so there's actually so much we can do so from stress reduction to reanalyzing what kind of exercise you're doing to prioritizing sleep that's huge and you also touched upon nutrition which needs to probably be guided by a practitioner like yourself because it actually can be quite confusing what's out there. So how did she take all of these changes? Was it overwhelming or was she just ready for change? So this is also where I discuss with the patient, you know, what do they prefer to do? Are they someone who likes to do, you know, go strict straight away or do they prefer to do step by step or take it practically? I mean, in this case, she was willing to go gluten dairy free. Like she'd already done some reading around it and, and 
you know, so she was willing to sort of at least trial that. And again, not to say that that's necessary has to be forever, but at least initially in the healing phase, it can be useful to be that much stricter as well. There are other diets that have been shown to be helpful, like the autoimmune protocol, but that can be much more restrictive. And I, I don't always advocate that straight away, although that might be necessary later on. And she was also open to, to that as well. I think it's also important to bear in mind, it's not just what we, you know, take out, it's what we put in as well. So we want to be having the vegetables and fruits and, you know, just have all the healthy components of, of, a, of a good diet as well. Fantastic. So what, when did she come back and see you and how was she feeling when she did? So we met a few weeks later to discuss the blood results. And in terms of the thyroid hormone testing, they were actually in the normal range. So, you know, anyone would look at those and say, the thyroid is normal but when we did the antibodies the antibodies were actually positive her tpo which is one of the main one of the two main thyroid antibodies was actually several hundred so she had that implies a lot of inflammation and the tsh was in the normal range and it was actually is around i think 1 1.5 from memory and a t1 t3 were in the normal range but if we looked at them closer they were actually in the lower end of normal so again this is why it wasn't flagged so this is why it's important not just to do the right testing but also it's how we interpret the results as well and tsh as we know it doesn't have to be high for some to have hypothyroidism you know because stress is going to reduce that TSH, as in this case she had the celiac gene as well interestingly but she didn't have celiac disease so she would have definitely got that from one of her parents and also explains why her sister has celiac disease as well because it, it, it does run in the family and also her some of her other markers like her iron and b12 again they were in the normal range but they weren't optimal so you know we had more things that we can sort of work on and optimize in terms of of appropriate supplements as well and that's another thing to just quickly bring up that often there's so many things we can use but we don't want to be overwhelming someone with lots and lots of supplements either and just to use what what's appropriate and how did she feel did she implement any of the lifestyle changes that you had suggested yeah yeah so she started a restorative yoga class uh, she found another sort of studio nearby and started doing doing that she was really enjoying that so already starting to feel better she actually cut out gluten and dairy she was actually very good about that and quite happy to go and again her sister being celiac disease she had a lot of you know good practical advice from her her family members as well so yeah she was definitely starting to feel better and i think also relieved that there was actually something wrong as well that you know it actually picked up a lot in her blood test you know her antibodies hadn't been done before and, you know, so we had this, you know, confirmed diagnosis of Hashimoto's as we had suspected. And there were also other things that we can improve on as well, like, you know, optimizing her iron and B12, which were on the lower end as well, optimizing her vitamin D as well. You know, I suggested those few additional supplements really just to help to you know, help with her, her symptoms as well, because they're all really important for thyroid function as well. Her zinc was also at a lower end of normal as well. And when was the follow-up after that consult? And... Again, how was she feeling at that point? Uh, so, um, so you saw her after uh, with the results, and then when did you see her again? And I'd love to know what was she feeling at that point. Okay, yeah. So we did another follow up another couple of months later, just to see how she was going. And uh, you know, she's definitely a lot better. You know, a lot more energy, less brain fog. Hadn't yet shifted weight, but this is again, this is where we've got to have some patience as well. That you know, everything is not going to happen straight away. But she was definitely noticing much more. You know, feeling generally much more better as well with all the lifestyle changes she's implemented as well as a few supplements that we'd started as well we'd spoken about other tests as well including functional testing because obviously you know that gut thyroid axis when there is Hashimoto's I mean given that most of the immune system is in the gut we really got to look at the guts she was later open to doing more functional testing with the gut microbiome test it's a good start 
Excellent. Excellent. No, that's fantastic. That is so interesting, isn't it? The impact of lifestyle on health. And this was a great example, how powerful it is. And I think this is a great summary of just a great reminder. Movement, obviously not too much movement if the body's not ready for it. Sleep, are we prioritizing sleep? Nutrition, the basics of nutrition, which is cutting back on processed foods, cutting back on sugar, you know, regularity as well. So I would say that's really three important tips to take away. And more importantly, more information is available in your book, Amy, which is awesome. So where can we get your book? Yes. Yeah, so my book is released on Tuesday, the 16th of August, and it will be available on Amazon as well as other online sites such as Barnes & Noble, Apple, Kobo, Goodreads, and hopefully more bookstores to come. I am actually having a book launch at Burklow Books in Paddington in Sydney. For anyone interested, that's on the 1st of September and that's been advertised on Eventbrite. Fantastic, Amy. Now, before we let you go, I know how much information you give to your patients. Do you take on that information for yourself? Do you look after yourself? How do you look after yourself, Amy? I do. Again, none of us are perfect and that's totally okay as well. But yeah, I have changed my own lifestyle over the years because, you know, many years ago I was in that very stressed state and, you know, burnout. So, you know, I've, I've really had a deep look at my own life and yeah, I meditate every day. I go to yoga class every week. I do my own practice at home as well. Obviously try and eat well. I do love my tea. I'm not a big coffee drinker, but I, I do love my tea. And yeah, I try and have regularities with sleep. And, you know, I've, I've got a dog, I've got Gracie, who's my 11-year-old Labrador. And it's actually amazing how much they teach us as well, because, you know, they're up at sunrise, you know, they have a routine, you know, so I'm out first thing in the morning, getting natural sunlight, going for a regular walk. So lots of incidental activity there as well. I definitely try and wind up before bed. And, you know, so I try and incorporate that as much as, as I can. And, you know, again, we're all human. You know, th th there are times when there's a bit of stress that, that that might get out of place. But as long as you recognize it and you have those tools, and that's the key thing with doing that daily meditation and, and having your own toolbox, as it were, you know, your self-care toolbox, you know, of things that you can always go to. Fantastic, Amy. So thank you so much. And before we leave you, where can people find you? So I have my website, which is dramygajar.com. And I'm also on social media on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Excellent. Thank you so much. Really informative. Such a privilege for you to be on this podcast. Thank you, Amy. Thank you so much, Amy. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember, it's all about progress and not perfection. Curious to learn more? Visit usawa.com.au and click on the Usawa Learning Platform, which is packed with educational videos, including the six-week stress-free challenge. Enjoy the journey.